What's up, guys? Welcome to episode six, technically, of Milk and Bourbon. I keep switching backgrounds on you because I haven't quite found one that I liked yet, so we're working on it. Um, this episode is going to be about the book Utopia by Sir Thomas More, and I'm going to review Colonel E.H. Taylor for the bourbon today. Additionally, I'm going to adjust some of the book's and some of the bourbons at the very end um, that I've seen and tasted and read in the past and try to make like a ranking so far this year for you guys to determine what bourbons you want to buy or what what books you want to try. Before I start, something was mentioned to me by a buddy. Finally, some constructive criticism. It was amazing. We were on a ruck together, and he brought up that he went out and bought that first book that I reviewed for the for my podcast, the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness. And he hated the book. And I'd given it three stars. So I've vowed to him that I'm going to be more stingy with my stars and and try to give like actual helpful feedback. So right off the rip, Utopia, I'm giving it one out of five stars. It's been a book that's inspired so many other books. It's written by a very well-respected um, man from the 1500s who got to the point where he was serving the king of England. So he was no chump, and I hate giving him the disrespect, but I don't know if it was my own unintelligence, Moore's naturally stuffy manner, especially considering that everyone everyone was speaking in Latin at the time. Or if it was uh, the translator that translated it a little bit stuffily. But either way, it was really tough to read. Really hard to read, really hard to finish. Someone that I mentioned the book to as I was reading it tried reading a page. And they told me I don't know how, how I was getting through the book. So one out of five stars. But there are some interesting points, and I do have some thoughts that were driven from reading that, and I'm going to give those to you um, after a brief, brief synopsis. This book centers on these two characters that have been introduced by a mutual friend. The two characters are both very well-learned men, well-traveled men, well-respected men. One of them is named Raphael, and the other one is named Moore. Um, it seems the writer, the author, couldn't quite settle for just the name on the on the front page, but also um, throughout the book. So he, he named one of the characters after himself. The other one, it's pretty clear and very well accepted by everyone that's read it since that these two characters are the two warring factions within Thomas More's uh, brain, his life. Because on one hand is this very black and white, very religious, very uh, pious man. And then on the other side is the statesman, the the shrewd, smart, I wouldn't say conniving, that's not the right word, but the the guy that knows that everything gets changed at once, and so he changes small things almost imperceptibly over time. And so you've got these two very different approaches to how to conduct yourself as a society or as a human being. And they're having this argument at the very beginning. And the way 
the book is set up is that based off of who you felt won that argument is how you take the whole second half of the book. The whole second half of the book is this Raphael character explaining this ideal society that he had encountered in the new world called Utopia. It's an island nation. Um, 34 evenly spaced cities, almost the same size. Uh, 6,000 inhabitants per city. It was grid-like patterned as far as how it was laid out. Everything was well thought out. The infrastructure was strong. Uh, religion was right off. You could practice whatever you wanted, but the founder, the first leader of Utopia, hoped that they would naturally go towards what essentially was Christendom. And... Uh, all the inhabitants don't have their own personal belongings. They all wear the same outfit. And they all learn husbandry, which in this case doesn't just mean um, raising the animals, but also the farming itself. So everyone is a farmer at, at a base level, and then whatever happens from there is up to that individual. There's no leisure time. They work, and when they're done working, they're expected to either be... Uh, providing for their family in other ways or learning a new craft or learning just for the sake of learning. Their leadership is all voted upon, including the king. He's, he's describing this, this perfect city with these perfect values where morals are the, the crux of everything and people that don't fall in line and become slaves and if they become slaves and then recommit whatever crime they had committed, if they do it again, they kill them. So there isn't any initial capital punishment. No matter what they do, they get entered into bondage, and then it gets figured out from there. But it's just an, it, it's an odd society. It's strange. There's, it, it seems void of passion and joy. It's very much like a reserved contentedness everyone's got what they need no one's rich everyone shares it's like this moralistic socialist state and the book is just stuffy from start to start to end and there's there's sentences that take full half pages in this book and it's maddening actually there are things that i drew from this there are thoughts that this book caused me to happen upon. And literally, these weren't main focal points of the book, but these were things that were mentioned in passing that I th thought were worthwhile, and I thought that you guys would, would take something from it. And everyone's heard this, everything in moderation, especially moderation. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Too much ambition will prevent a man from actually enjoying the fruits of his labor, or really just the labor in and of itself. People that are obsessed with the next big thing, with becoming better than their peers or becoming constantly becoming better. It's, it can be healthy, but just like with anything else, even the most virtuous ideals can be warped into something terrible. So I think that's something that I have to remind myself of because there was a time where I was definitely more slothful and, I'm trying to counteract for that by being overly ambitious, but I don't want to lose out on the, the small joys that I feel. So that was the first point, and it was literally in passing 
within the first 20 pages of the book. And it was during this argument that Moore and Raphael are having that that's brought up something about too much ambition, too much um, confidence is avarice, those types of things. The second thing, you win in an argument with a fool, you are bound to lose because what happens is you have to stoop to their intelligence level and they will beat you at that intelligence level with experience. And in the book, I'll read directly from what it says. Uh, so the little backstory, there's a prince, one of his religious advisors, and then his jester. And the jester mentions something about how the religious man is much like a beggar because he relies on other people's donations to survive. And obviously that ticks this guy off. He's a proud man of God. And so he starts flying at this jester with these insults and the jester's laughing at him because the jester's already won. And the prince says, if you would not set your wit to a fool's wit and with the fool take in hand a foolish contention. And that's how it's worded. That whole book is worded strangely. It's makes me, it made me want to drink, which thankfully we'll be doing soon. Why get angry when an idiot tries you? Is something that I've had to learn as I've aged. Almost 31 now, 23-year-old Nick would argue over anything. Um, it's like that one meme where the guy's sitting there is like, change my mind. I was always about that. And the third one, again, during the argument phase, because when he's describing Utopia, like, not that interesting. Uh, I think several books did this ideal, ideal society or this society gone wrong or this dystopia much better than Raphael, really, Sir Thomas More did. Um, Lord of the Flies, Clockwork Orange, 1984... Brave New World, I read that one last year. I don't know why it slipped my mind. All those books do it better. All of them. And so, really, the most, everything that I got from the book was Raphael's and Moore's argument in the first half of the book. And so, Moore is imploring Raphael to assist the prince because he's, he sees immediately that this man could, could benefit um, the state, benefit the prince, benefit running that society. Because this prince is surrounded by these snakes that are able to bend his ear to their their whisperings, and they un, have undue influence on how the state is ran, and Moore is imploring Raphael to help him with improving everything in that state. And so he says, even you cannot, even as you would, remedy vices which yous and customs have confirmed Yet for this cause you must not leave and forsake the commonwealth. You must not forsake the ship and the tempest because you cannot rule and keep down the winds. So he's saying that there are things that are inevitable because of society's weight far is far stronger than any one man's ability to reason. So I, thought, I saw this really funny um, poem. And it's written by, um, this poem's written by Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick. And it says, What though reason forged your scheme, 
'twas reason dreamed the utopia's dream. Tis dream to think that reason can govern the reasoning creature man. So what he's saying is that like, and this is Herman Melville basically agreeing with the character of Raphael that there's nothing he can do to fix this state because he's only one man and the inevitable tide is going to win over. And Moore is arguing that yes, that tide might win over, but it's not, it doesn't detract from the dignity you receive from trying to fix it. If that makes sense. So I thought that was cool. Like fighting that, fighting that fight, knowing that you're going to lose the battle is far more honorable than fighting that fight, knowing you're going to win. And, um, that sounds very fatalistic, but it is what it is. Several points in this book where I just disagreed with what this ideal society was supposed to be. And obviously the fact that it's a socialist socialist state, I don't quite agree with. And it's talking about how like it would be so much better if it was a socialist state because everyone has the same thing. So no one goes wanting. Um, no one's just obscenely rich. And it made me think about something that I had read recently as of like this year, 2021, where these studies had been published that there's no limit to the positive correlation between more money earned and quality of life happiness. So there, there was a study back in 2010 that had said that it kind of caps at $75,000, anything lower, you get decreasingly less or decreasingly more happy. I guess is the way to say that. Anything above seventy-five thousand, you're it's the same quality of life, same happiness, I guess. And this more recent study in twenty twenty-one said, no, that's bullshit. We've used this app that happens in real time, prompts people in real time to rate their happiness um, on several different levels, different types of happiness, different contentedness, happiness, stuff like that, and it measured thirty-four thousand employed individuals from 18 to 65 over seven years. So all these people are giving real-time data for seven years, and it w there was a positive correlation. It 100%, the richer you got, the happier you were. And then I read another study that actually gave me even more of an idea of how I feel about riches, and it's the difference between being rich and wealthy. And this is a study that was published two years ago, and there is definitely a difference in people being rich and wealthy and how that affects their happiness. And the people that are wealthy have that positive correlation that's even stronger. People that are rich, it, it breaks down a little bit. And here's what the difference is. A wealthy person has enough money. The wealthier you are, the longer you can live at your current state based off of your liabilities versus your assets the longer you could live off of what you own, what you have, what is yours, the wealthier you are. You can be mega rich and have all these liabilities, a couple houses, a couple condos, an apartment building, vehicles, helicopters, right? 
and you're not that wealthy. You're rich. You're not wealthy. I hope you get the distinction there. And I just thought that was a couple of interesting things. A wealthy man is, in fact, far happier than me, your regular guy, which was sad um, a little bit. But it's it kind of... I'm never going to say exactly how I feel as far as socialism versus capitalism. I think there's flaws in both. I think there's positives in both. I think um, there's far greater things to worry about <clears throat> on this planet right now than those two things. They are important, but I think there's much bigger things right now. So what I want to do for this last segment let me, I'm backtracking a second. I want to call it head buzz from here on out, not science and tech. I want to call it head buzz, just interesting stuff that, that makes you think and causes you to want to react to what I'm saying. Cause sometimes I say some off the wall shit and it's, it's in an effort to get you guys to respond to me. Send me a message. What do you think about socialism versus capitalism? Are you crazy? Are you a commie? Or I can't believe you've sold out for the man or, you know, just interesting stuff that is going to provide me with a little bit of entertainment. So on to the bourbon. Oh, what's up? Didn't see you there. So this bourbon, <clears throat> Colonel E.H. Taylor, is distilled at the Buffalo Trace Distillery where I happened to go a couple weeks ago. So right here. Always got to fight the glare every single time. It's a beautiful bottle. It actually comes in um, this really cool cylinder. Uh, you can only get one every three months per person. They check your driver's license. <clears throat> I actually haven't done any prior research for this bourbon. I don't know what the, the tasting bill is going to be like. Um, I just, I kind of wanted to do a full send give you like a straight up, this is what I think. I don't, I didn't want to be influenced by reading that there were certain flavors that were interesting. So yeah, we're going to, we're just going to do a blind taste test and I'm going to tell you what I feel about it. Maybe be wrong. I don't know. We're going to find out. But like I said, I've actually restructured my rating for all the bourbons that I've tried so far, um, along with all the books that I've tried. Because um, I realized that I was I was being too kind with both the books and the bourbon. Uh, like I rated 1792 too high. I rated Bullet too high. I like kept changing the rating for for my Blood Oath Pact Four. I think it steadily grew because I was realizing that it was better than I originally thought. So I'm going to give you definitely a restructuring. But in the meantime, this blind test of uh, Colonel E. H. Taylor. I'm ready if you are. Hundred proof. Bottled in bond. I told you about that bottled in bond last time. So it's got those strict standards. I don't know if that's just a, a ploy to sell more, but oof, heavy nose, heavy alcohol on the nose. Mouthfeel. Oh, here comes the finish. Mm. Mouthfeel is good. <clears throat> it hangs there. I mean, you can see it on the glass where I where I raised it. It's it's got a nice little. 
silkiness to it. As far as the flavor profile, it's nutty. Like when you forcefully, and this is how I figured this out literally just now, as I was breathing out through my nose, I could, it literally tasted like roasted nuts. And I don't, I don't mind nuts. I, I actually, they're fine with me. Um, man. But as far as a rating goes, especially considering that I just told you that I've started fixing it, I'm going to give it a three out of five, three out of five stars. Nothing's touching Long Branch. And I learned this about Long Branch. Um, Matthew McConaughey, he had a, he had like a guiding hand. His name is on the damn bottle. He had a guiding hand in the production, I guess is the best verb for this or in producing this, this Long Branch. So Long Branch has got this like really cool connection to a famous person who I, I kind of like, I've seen some of his award-winning speeches and stuff. And I find that I, he's a humble guy. He's, he does have that ambition. Like I was mentioning earlier in this podcast and he's smart, charismatic, good dude. And I thought that was cool. There's a lot of alcohols that people, famous people sponsor that aren't related to business. That isn't very good. It's not a very good drink. Um, but Long Branch, still holding out strong. Colonel Taylor at a 3 out of 5. Not bad. Um, worth the buy, but it's not something that you have to save for a special event. I wanted to uh, restructure everything, and I'm going to throw this up probably right here. Right here. All right, so for books, Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness goes from 3 out of 5 to 1.5 out of 5, making it just barely better than Utopia. And it's for totally different reasons, literally opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, 2030, the second book that I, I rated, 4 out of 5. It's um, it's the second best book that I read. Joker Psychology, I dropped down from 3 to 2.5. That's 5th, good enough for 5th. Deep Survival, 3 out of 5. I maintain that. That's the third. Early Riser, 4.5 out of 5 stars. That's my number one still. Our Man in Havana, I dropped from a 3.8 to a 3, putting it in fourth. And then, obviously, like I said, Utopia coming in at a smooth seventh at 1 out of 5 stars. As for the bourbon, um, Blood Oath Pact 4, I went from like a 3 to a 3.5 to a 4 over different episodes, I'm pegging it as a 3.5 out of 5, putting it at um, fourth. Angel's Envy is a 4 out of 5. That puts it at third. Bullet, I dropped it down from a 3 out of 5 to 2 out of 5. That's seventh. Forged Oak, 3.5. I dropped it down to 2.5. I didn't think it was that good. That's that's sixth. Maybe seventh now, actually, because of Colonel Taylor. McKenna, three out of five stars. Long Branch, still holding strong at 4.1 out of five. Uh, 1792, still my dead last. So that makes it ninth now, my ninth bourbon that I've tried so far. 1792, I think it was a single barrel. There's different 1792s, but this this one try was so meh that I don't even want to try the other ones. And that's probably wrong of me. But And then the Rhetoric 24-year I gave that the four out of five stars, so it's still holding strong at second. So those are my new rankings. I'm going to be more stingy um, 
with these rankings, I think that as people start looking at my podcast and start taking it as a good place for suggestions, I, I need to be better about giving you good, solid reviews. So I've adjusted it. I've fixed it. Dave, I'm sorry that you went to read that book and just absolutely despised it. I think there's something that every book offers. I think there's something that every bourbon offers, except for 1792. And I excuse my rating, my rating sometime, but I promise you guys that I'm going to do better about that. Um, I'm going to give you guys a good product. As always, I appreciate you guys coming, enjoying this time with me. I'm having a lot of fun still doing it. It hasn't, it hasn't ended for me. I'm still, it's still just as good as ever for me. So I'm glad that you guys stick around with me. Um, for the next podcast, I'm going to try to get either my dad or my best friend on. So that's something to look forward to. And if it's going to be a couple of good podcasts here in a row about some really good books too. Um, with my best friend, it's going to be about, um, man's search for meaning, which was written by, um, someone that survived a concentration camp in world war two. And then my dad and I are going to read a book based basically on, um, some underground drug running in Kentucky back in, I, I guess this was like the mid 1900s. So mid 20th century, got a lot on the plate. Um, picking up my new job as well. So this is all very exciting for me. Uh, I'm going to continue to try to put out these as, as regularly as possible. I love doing it, like I said, and I love that you guys came to hang out with me. Until next time, I'm going to give you my toast. Damn the man that can't do it. Love y'all. Bourbon on the rock. rock, rock, rock.